All right. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Hello. I love it. All right. Come on. Okay. So uh, I want to welcome everybody in the room here in the museum district, especially her. And uh, God bless her. And God is happier that you're here than you are to be here. Trust me. And, uh, and, and uh, our family at Timber Grove as well, over in the Heights, 8200 Washington Avenue. Y'all are gathered there live. And we are so proud of our Timber Grove campus, aren't we? Everybody say hi to our Timber Grove campus. Woo! All right. And, of course, we got people uh, joining us online on three different sort of online platforms, and I'm glad y'all are a part of the Stories Online campus as well. Um, welcome to the story. Um, what I'm going to do now is, uh, after that awesome music that our team brought, I'm going to lead us through a little bit of, of teaching for the next 30, 35 minutes about, uh, well, we're starting a brand new series today. So I'm really excited. I always get pumped up about starting a new series. And this one is sort of the brainchild of not just me, but a whole team of our preachers. We have a great team of young preachers. Um, Pastor Gio, obviously, is a great preacher here. And then we've got uh, Rolando Alviar and, and Dylan Braddock, uh, who are mostly at this campus. And also Pastor Kale over at our Timber Grove campus, uh, Meredith Kirk. is. We've got a great team. And, and um, a lot of that team has sort of put our heads together for this one. And it's a new series that we're starting today called uh, True or False. True or false, um, and what we're going to do is sort of tackle or wrestle with some of the controversial claims that are bandied about in our culture, and oftentimes, most often in churches by Christians. So a lot of these are explicitly Christian claims that basically drive a wedge between us. So people fight about these claims and break up over these claims and, and lose touch over these kinds of things. And what we're going to do every week is with that week's controversial claim, Y'all will have a chance to voice your opinions. So the online community survey is going out by social media and all the emails that we send out. And y'all, as you did this past week, many of you, some of y'all might not have known about this. And so now you know for coming weeks, you get to vote. And at the beginning of every message, I'm going to, or whoever's offering the message is going to start with the results of the community poll. All right. This week's, to start this series off, we're going to have fun today. This week's Controversial claim is social media is evil. Social media is evil. And, um, I, you know, this is going to be a very practical message, but I'm also super nervous about this <laughs> message for some reason. When I set out, I was like, this is going to be fun. And the more that I wrote and expressed and sort of unpacked what the Bible has to say about this, I got more and more nervous. I was like, half the church is going to leave over just one thing I'm going to say in a few minutes. So uh, just get ready, and I'll point that out to you in a minute. I'll prepare you uh, in a minute. First, what were the results of our online survey? The poll results are clear. 60% of you said uh, social media is either mostly evil or totally evil. It is uh, either mostly true or totally true. That's 60% of our congregation. Thank you all for voting, by the way. And whether or not I personally agree with y'all, I just want to say I fully understand how someone can come to that conclusion. Anyone who spends much time at all on any social media platform, but especially TikTok, um, <laughs> can easily come to the conclusion that social media is evil, all right? It's uh, not hard to do. First of all, we know how addictive social media is. It's addictive by design. Um, we also know, you know that it's having a negative effect on us, especially young people, especially young female people. And we have all this new data now that show us just how harmful it actually is. Y'all know Facebook started in 2006. 
And before that, it was like MySpace and maybe, I don't know, what else did we have? Well, there's one, there's one other one. I didn't hear what you said, but I trust you, old people. Uh, there's like uh, blogs, I think. <laughs> and, uh, and, so, and so we had Facebook. It was a biggie. Facebook started in 2006. Instagram, which Facebook later bought, uh, started in 2010. And so this statistic in light of that, I think, is especially striking. Between 2007 and 2017, the suicide rate for people aged 10 to 24 increased by 56%. Are we paying attention? Like that's a real number. And that's the number of increases in people that succeeded at the attempt. There's a whole other number that's almost as big, or actually bigger, slightly bigger, people that, that tried to take their own lives or had suicidal ideation. And we don't have to connect some invisible dots to, to make sense of this, like Facebook's own data from an internal review of their Instagram platform showed Facebook and eventually the rest of us, thanks to a whistleblower, Facebook didn't tell us about this, but a whistleblower did, and Facebook's own data showed that like one third of their young female users on Instagram, uh, despite their own bodies more, struggled with deep body image issues because of their experience on Instagram, because of what they were seeing, because the typical Unless you're really mature and you know how to make sense of Instagram, if you're young and impressionable, you can easily come to compare your behind-the-scenes life to someone else's camera-ready life. And then you're always, you know, less attractive, less appealing, whatever, because you're not camera-ready all the time. As you're looking at Instagram, they are. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes for them. All you see is what they want you to see, and so obviously that's, everybody knows that, but I'm not sure we're, we're really acquainted with the effects that it's having or the fact that these companies know the effects that it's having, and are they changing their business model? Are they like publicly apologizing and putting like Surgeon General's warnings on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, TikTok or whatever, Snapchat, whatever? It's like, no, because, because they don't really care these companies don't really care about your customer experience. They don't care whether you've had a good time or a bad time. All they care about is that you've spent a lot of time on their, um, on their platforms. And I think that that could be what is um, most sinister about these uh, social media giants, right? It's not so much the... Um, the, the interactions that we have on social media, but the fact that they are designed for us to become addicted. So they had, uh, a while back, they realized they could use the same tactics that attention engineers had been paid to use in uh, Las Vegas. So there wasn't anything called an attention engineer until the Vegas casinos realized we need to find ways of compelling more gamblers to stay on the floor longer and spend more money. So they changed their light bulbs to bulbs that mimic the daylight to make you think your body thinks it's always daytime in Las Vegas. And then uh, they pump, you know this, they pump more oxygen into the rooms in the casino floors so that your lungs, your body's tricked into thinking you're more alive and more awake than you really are. That's manipulation by definition. And, and social media companies took these practices and uh, sort of informed their programmers about these practices, and, and that's how you got the never-ending scrolling feature. It didn't used to be that way. It, it, you didn't used to see, you know, all kinds of other suggestions on Facebook. You just saw what your friends 
The friends you selected and friended, you saw what they posted and nothing more. Well, it's become more and more manipulative over time because for their purposes and business model, there's more and more at stake. They don't really care about your happiness as a customer, and here's why. Probably the best kept secret about social media, you probably know this, I hope by now, is that when it comes to social media, you are not the customer, all right? So uh, young people especially can be, um, I think, confused about this and, and, and assume that just like every other exchange on the marketplace, they're the customer and they have certain rights as customers. That's not the case here. You're not the customer. You're not the client. You're not a stakeholder. You're not a community member when it comes to social media. You're not even a content creator. Even if you are a content creator, you're really just the product. All of us are products being bought and sold on Facebook, and the, the commodities in play are your time, your attention, and your information, or your identity, for lack of a better word. Your identity is what's really at play when it comes to social media. So that alone should be enough to change our whole perspective about social media. So to the 60% of you who said it's either mostly true or totally true that social media is evil, I understand how you come to that conclusion. However, 40% of you, I was 29% said mostly false, and 11% said totally false that social media is evil. 40% of you in total said, no, 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 I don't believe it. I don't believe social media is evil, I disagree. And I wanna tell you, the, the vocal minority here, my heart's also with you a little bit because I've seen the good that comes from social media. How can we call something inherently evil when clearly so much social good has come out of these platforms? And it's easy to get negative, I get that, but all this pastor had to see was what social media meant to the church during 2020. The pandemic and everything, where would we be today without the connectivity of social media and the way that that allowed us to stay connected, right? Um, uh, or, or even something as silly or playful as uh, something that lightens your day, right? So um, <laughs> this is so stupid, but I love memes. I live by memes. I text oftentimes for days on end without words, just memes. If anyone knows me, you know this is basically <laughs> my life. And, and sometimes life gets heavy and social media can lighten your load a little bit by making you laugh. Or how many of us have been... Um, more connected at times to family that live in other places. I talk to grandparents all the time. I never would see my grandbaby if it wasn't for, you know, you fill in the blank, social media, whatever. You know, it's like, thank God for that technology because I get to see my grandkids more often. How many of you have been through a hard time? You lost a job, you lost a loved one, your marriage fell apart. And your friends and followers online surrounded you with support and encouragement. They built you up during that time, right? There's something good there. And I do understand that it might also be true that your marriage fell apart because someone slid into your ex's DMs on, on the gram or whatever. <laughs> I'm just saying it's a both and, all right? It's a mixed bag where social media is concerned. It might not be all one way or um, the other. Clearly, there are healthy and wholesome benefits to social media. Sometimes social media, the things you choose to see on social media can remind you that there's good in the world. They can remind you that there's still something wholesome and hopeful about humanity, just when you've about lost all trust and faith in humanity because of what you've seen on the news or other, elsewhere on social media, probably. 
like um, videos like the one I'm about to show you of this, this father who was a military dad who was on active duty and surprised his baby girl. Y'all know these videos? Get ready. Get the Kleenex out. Surprised his baby girl at school on Valentine's Day. One New York fifth grader got an extra special Valentine this year, her dad. Army Staff Sergeant Daniel London surprised 10-year-old Alexis at her school after an eight-month deployment in Afghanistan. You can see the video here. Oh, my gosh, her face is so cute. Mm. Uh, Alexis says all she wanted to do was to see him more often. To spend time with him. Look up. Is there anything yeah. special you'd like to do? To go out to a movie? Mm -mm. I just want to spend time with him. Now, London is now joining the New York Fire Department. London's wife also served in the military years ago and previously left to become a New York police officer. Alexis now gets both of her parents. All right. So you can inject that into my veins any day. I love it. I love it. I had to turn away from it because I still got to talk. And if I watched that, I would be a, just a mushy bag of tears up here. And I'm trying to keep my composure every time those videos get me as a father, you know. It's, uh, and the little girl saying, uh, was, the, the reporter said, do you want to do anything special? She's like, I just told you what I'm going to do special. Spend time with my dad. It's just like there's a reminder there that there's good in the world. There's, there's hope for humanity. There's still good people out there. And I think... That should not be ignored or denied as far as social media and what it has meant to us. So there's some aspects of Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Snapchat. What am I forgetting? Anyone? Somebody say MySpace earlier. No, uh, we're, we're done with MySpace, Gen Xers. All right. Uh, you might be able to throw some of the dating apps into this as well uh, for those of you singles. I hope you're only singles that are on the dating apps. Uh, <laughs> watch it. Uh, but uh, but, but you, you, obviously there are sinister aspects to this, but it's not all sinister. There's some good that's come out of this as well. But, but really our job today, my job this week has not really been to explore the, the opinions, my opinion, your opinions on this topic. Really my job is to figure out what the Bible has to say on the subject. And this is a tough one. What does the Bible have to say about social media? Not a lot, right? They didn't have Facebook and Twitter when the Bible was being written. And I'm, I, guess I'm, I guess I'm glad they didn't. Sometimes I, I wish they did. I'd love to see Paul's tweets. I feel like he'd have some edge. Um, he'd be great at Twitter. But the truth is we probably wouldn't have the Bible had they had social media back then because they would have all been too distracted to sit down and write the Bible. So uh, I guess I'm glad they, they didn't. But whenever you are looking for wisdom on a topic that is a more recent innovation and the Bible doesn't explicitly spell out what the Bible says or God thinks about this certain thing, you got to do the extra work of searching the scriptures to find topics or themes or teachings that can be applied to the matter at hand. And I think there's plenty of biblical wisdom on the topic of how we conduct ourselves on social media platforms. And I, I think um, they're worth talking about. So there's a few things I'm gonna lead us through now. And um, you have study guides that you were given when you came in, and um, I believe Kel gave those to you at Timber Grove as well. You can pull those study guides out and follow along with me if you find them helpful, it's not mandatory. But there's three bits of wisdom here that I'll point out. Three analogies, really. And under each one, I'm going to give three very practical suggestions. And these suggestions are take it or leave it. You don't have to do everything I'm suggesting. It's just 
my own experience with people, with my own life on social media, with what the Bible says, uh, I'm going to offer some pointers or some helpful tips, I hope. Number one, the first analogy is that we should look at social media like a screwdriver. So social media is like a screwdriver. At this point, I'll pause and read a, a bit of scripture. It's one verse from the book of Ephesians. Uh, this, is, uh, uh, this is from Ephesians chapter 4. You have the Bibles uh, in the seat backs if you want to pull those out or if you brought your own. Kudos to you, super Christians. And uh, if you don't have one, uh, you can uh, use the one in the seat back or follow along on the screen. Um, I think this applies to social media and how we behave online. It says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths or your keyboards or your phones, I might add, but only what is helpful for building others up according uh, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So I like the phrase building up. All right, because um, when I think about a screwdriver, I think, well, the primary use of a screwdriver is what? To build, to fix what's broken, right? To mend things, to put something back together. But generally, it's to build up. Now, a screwdriver can also be used for murder, frankly. <laughs> it's like, it can be used for other things. Dozens of people in America die every year by being stabbed by a screwdriver. Apparently, it's a very popular weapon of choice among women, as I learned in my research this week. So men, hide your tools, all right? Um, so it can be used for other things, but the purpose of a screwdriver is to build up. So how do we use social media as a tool instead of being used as a tool by social media? That's really the task at hand for us that are trying to make sense of this as if you're trying to follow Jesus. So I think uh, this is all wrapped up in understanding and knowing your mission. Talk a lot about mission around here. And that's because your mission in life is your true north. It is your north star, your guiding light, your guiding principle for everything else that you do. You should know your mission very well and repeat it to yourself often. And everything that you do and say should be filtered through your mission, including your social media presence. Right? So when I say mission, what do I mean? This is uh, the first sort of practical suggestion. Knowing your mission means, uh, so for example, the story's mission is to inspire non-religious people to follow Jesus. And so we only engage online to that end. And so we don't get wrapped up in other kinds of things. We don't lose time and energy and focus by chasing every single moving, flashing thing. Like we could, we could engage in all kinds of other political or, or whatever kinds of topics going on. That's not what our mission is. Our mission is to inspire people, that's a very intentional word, to inspire people to follow Jesus, not to shame them to follow Jesus or to guilt them or whatever, you know, inspire them to follow Jesus. He is the center of our center. Okay, so Kat Bruff and the team that does social media here at The Story, they all know everything we do online on the various social media platforms that we engage in is, should be done to that end, should be appealing to non-religious skeptics and cynics and folks with more questions than answers. We should not be posting things that are super Christian or, or, or written in Christianese that only Christians understand. Everything should be about the mission. And so, so you know your mission, 
and you post, comment, engage, and interact on social media according to your mission, my personal mission, if you wanna get personal about it, like so maybe you can, you can start crafting your own. My mission is to make disciples of Jesus starting with my children. So my personal mission in life, I think about my children first, how can I make them disciples of Jesus who love him and follow him? And then one by one, I wanna make disciples of others, especially men in the, in the world, in my world, in my sphere of influence. That's my mission. So everything I do online, on social media, is to that end. You know what that means for me? Because I wanna disciple men who are not sold out believers for Jesus already. It has meant less social media for me. I do less social media now than ever before because my mission, it's not, it's not mission critical for me to be engaged on social media all the time. Why? Because most men are not on social media. All right? Um, some of you guys are like, <laughs> like I'm not a real man. I'm on Instagram. That's not what I meant. All right? Most, <laughs> there's just a difference. All right? So that was a little off the cuff. So anyway, um, that's the first two practical points under point one. But the third one is um, just resist the urge to murder with your screwdriver. All right, so, um, so you're going to find people and, and, and these people will be expressing ideas that you find heinous or evil or disastrous or insulting. And you are going to be tempted to react impulsively and emotionally. But when you know your mission and you're only engaging online to build up toward your mission, then you have a, a filter that filters out the emotions and the impulsivity. So you keep using your screwdriver to build up and not to kill people with it, even though you might feel like it. What good does that do? Engaging angrily on Facebook because someone is voting differently than you or someone feels differently about some hot button issue. Do you think you're going to make converts to your side by in the comments section? You really think that happens? That has never happened. And, and, and it won't happen if you let your anger out. So, you know, it's, it's important for us to keep building instead of tearing down, just like Paul wrote in Ephesians. Now, finally, if you just are lost on the concept of a mission for your life and you're looking for a mission to build your life around, as we sang earlier, I'll build my life, right? Then this is a very simple one. And I offer this to you from scripture, from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31. Just adopt this as your own. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God, period. Everything you do, do it for the glory of God and don't do anything else. If it's not mission critical, don't say it. Don't post it. Don't look at it. Don't search for it. If it's not mission critical. Second, the second analogy, other than uh, social media is like a screwdriver. Social media is like alcohol. Social media is like alcohol. This is where we get in some deep water here. Are you, you ready? So the scripture guide for this is Ephesians, again, chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Paul writes, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. So remember when I said time is, your time is the commodity at play in the social media business model. It's what's being bought and sold you only have a very limited, finite number amount of time in this life. You cannot make more of it. So it is so precious. And why in the world do we spend it scrolling? I think the angels in heaven look at us with this <laughs> going like, what are they doing? Don't they know? The clock is ticking. Live your life. 
So one thing that we know about any addictive behavior, especially any destructive addictions that take root later in life, like when we become adults, whether it's alcoholism or anything else, is that more often than not, the seeds for that addiction are planted in childhood. So a destructive alcoholic later in life will often say, uh, you know, I, I first discovered or experienced alcohol when I was a kid. And I've talked about my own uh, addictions of pornography earlier in life, and I can tell you that my first experiences with pornography, pornographic material, was 10 or 11 years old. Before, long before my brain was ready to process and, and deal with what I was seeing. I just knew it was something I wasn't supposed to be seeing. All kinds of synapses were firing in my brain. And, 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 and by the way, when I was 10 or 11, that was, you had to work to find porn. Like, it was like before Google and stuff. And like the stuff, this man knows what I'm talking about. And the stuff, <laughs> the stuff, I feel it. I'm with you. This, this stuff, this, listen, the stuff, we called pornography then looked a lot like the stuff you see casually scrolling on TikTok today. Truly. The world has changed. The slippery slope analogy applies. I don't want to be an alarmist, chicken little or whatever, but listen, something has happened in our society over time and stuff that's normal now used to be porn. Okay? And everybody's looking at it, including kids. And, uh, and so... What we've decided as a society long ago, even though we disagree about every issue, we all sort of collectively said at some point in time, you know, 12-year-olds shouldn't be drinking whiskey. And Democrat, Republican all came together in a show of rare unity in America that children should not have Maker's Mark, right? Like just, okay, deal. Um, and we did the same thing with other sorts of things that uh, we regulated them and their use among children that could otherwise ruin lives because we knew we had to protect the kids from alcohol, from drugs, from sex, uh, you know, and so that's why we had the age of consent, you know, from, from all kinds of things that could, that could ruin them. Well, when it comes to social media, what the data show is very clear. Um, uh, one study said that, uh, actually more than one reported that, a person's dopamine levels spike 400% when their posts and comments get attention on Instagram. Now for reference, in case you're not familiar with dopamine response, like I wasn't before I did the research this week, but that's 400% is about the same dopamine release that happens in your body when you do a line of cocaine or when you make love. And the wild, the wild thing about this is we just expect, in many cases, children and teens to take a hit like that, a hit of dopamine, and know what to do with it, and know how to handle it, how to harness it, and, and how to process it, and how to, you know, restrain themselves in light of it. When in fact, what they're doing, what we're doing to them, not beating up on the young people, I'm beating up on old people like me for raising young people without any limitations here because what's happening to their brains is that they are processing this in a way that leads them to believe that that dopamine numbness that sets in is an appropriate escape from pain and stress so that later in life, those pathways are well-forged. 
And so uh, essentially that's exactly what people making money off of social media platforms are hoping uh, we will do. Which is wild, when it comes to alcohol and other things, we, we lock them up, keep them away from kids. When it comes to social media, even though we know these facts, most adults seem to be totally fine with kids having their own smartphones and their own social media accounts, oftentimes unfettered. I've talked to parents in this congregation who don't even have the passcodes to their kids' phones. All right. My kids, by the way, my kids have phones. All right. So I'm not saying like it's across the board. I'm not like going back to the dark ages here, but you better believe I know those passcodes. You better believe every night. Don't tell them. I don't want them to know. They're not here for the service. Don't. Every night I'm going through those things. Every single night. Giovanna can tell you. She thinks I'm on my phone over there. I'm on theirs, like checking everything because we have to be vigilant. You have every passcode, you have every password, parents, and oftentimes the parents that come to me and say, I don't know my kids' passwords, it's in a crisis because their kids are spiraling. And, and there's such remorse and regret about not being more vigilant. And I know that there are parents here right now who would take me to task on this and argue with me about how we have to respect the children and we have to respect their right to privacy and we have to respect their human right to Snapchat. And I'm like, no, you don't. Your child, okay, first of all, let me respond to that sentiment with my favorite meme. Honestly, my favorite preacher meme. Here it is. Here's my response. Why? 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 All right. That, I have shared that meme about 50,000 times, okay? So why? Why? Why do you think your kids have a right to privacy from you? They do not. Now, it's okay. They have a right to privacy from predators. Yeah, sure. But the predators are all on Snapchat and stuff. Like, they don't have a right to privacy from you, okay? Parents, we have to be more vigilant. And uh, really, all of us with ourselves have to be more vigilant, but especially um, parents when it comes to our kids being, what they're being exposed to on social media. Um, now, I, I shared the, the stat earlier about suicide and, and the dates of the uh, increase in suicidal ideation among young people. There's another stat for you. Between 2009 and 2021, the percentage of teenagers who reported having persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness rose from 26 to 44 percent. This is, this is bananas. It just, this is a trend that if it continues, we might already have a situation where the majority of teenagers in America feel uh, impending sense of doom or dread or hopelessness. It's impossible not to draw the line straight to what they're experiencing on social media. So here's a few practical suggestions from me to you, take it or leave it, about this point that uh, social media is like alcohol. First, like alcohol, you should use it in moderation. If you use it at all, use it in moderation. Stay in control of it. It is a tool for you and not the other way around. So what does it mean to stay in control of social media? Just the same that it would to stay in control of, you know, your alcohol consumption. Go without it sometimes. Distinct periods of fasting that you adhere to. Fast from social media for Lent or for whatever season, you know, just define it and stick to it. Don't do what a lot of my friends do. They're like, I'm going to be away from social media for 40 days, and then they're posting again the next day. Like, like stick to it if you do it. And then build in Sabbath days once a week. Just follow the Bible's 
uh, follow God's instructions on this. Take a Sabbath. Take a day off. And in, in your effort to, to moderate your use of social media, this is the second point I would make, the second practical little nugget, is that if you can't seem, like if you're sweating right now, just at the thought of it, right? And if you tremble at the thought of being without your social media, if you, if you find yourself getting phantom buzzes in your pocket or, you know, hearing your phone when it doesn't really make a noise, if you get really excited about having a phone in your hand, and if that is like a security blanket for you, then here's what I would suggest to you. And I say this out of love, just like I would say to someone who's out of control with their alcohol consumption, delete your accounts. Delete your accounts. Walk away from those platforms. Delete the apps. Try to live without it. I promise, even after that, that season of cold turkey sort of withdrawal passes, you will be glad to have all that time and energy back that you didn't even know you'd been investing in something so senseless, something that gives you so little in return. If you can't control it, and most, I would venture to guess most of us can't, or at least we haven't to this point, walk away, delete your account, live without it. You don't need it. If something within you is saying you need it, you're an addict. Like that's not healthy for you. It's not good for you, okay? The third piece is, this is the part where I'm like, I'm gonna lose half my church on this one, okay? So this is the hard part. Um, I feel like I might not see you again after this. Uh, on your way home from church, some of y'all's kids are gonna be telling you, mommy, it's time to find a new church. Um, but here's the truth. I just don't think kids under 16 should have any social media at all. I just don't see a need for it. As a dad of two or one teenager and one soon-to-be teenager, there's just no win there. There's no win. There's no upside. Well, they're lonely and they need to connect. There's other ways of connecting, truly, especially if they already have a phone in the first place. Like, you can text, you can FaceTime, you can do other things, but I don't see a win for kids under 16 having access to social media. And even over 16 and over, right? The only reason I choose that number, it's kind of random, right? But we give cars to kids at 16 and say drive. So I'm thinking maybe we can, we can test this out with older teens, right? And even then, we should insist that our older teens use social media sparingly and under our close, stringent, watchful eyes <laughs> as parents. There's no such thing as unfettered access to the gram or to TikTok or whatever. I know there's parents out there who would love to take me to task on this. You'd this is the hill you want to die on, all right? All right. <laughs> and I know because I have arguments with parents about this very thing. They think I'm, they think I'm the crazy one. Some of y'all might think I'm being crazy. I'm telling you there's too much at stake, too much at stake as far as social media and our kids go. Some of y'all want to say, well, it's always the sheltered kids that go crazy in college. You heard this argument? Usually people make that argument about alcohol, and I'm willing to follow that analogy, but let's follow it all the way to its end, because the analogy you're trying to make is that you let your 17-year-old daughter have a glass of white wine with you at dinner at home under your supervision. But to give your child access to all social media all the time or whatever, without you keeping a close watch on this, that would be akin to giving them the keys to the alcohol cabinet, the liquor cabinet, and then just leaving for the weekend. Have fun, honey. See you later. That's insanity. That's exactly what we're doing, and I don't believe social media is any less damaging or destructive 
than alcohol is. I, I truly believe this. And, and giving our children unfettered access to the skinny dancing pretty girls on TikTok or the, or the, the, the weird pagan pansexual witches on Instagram or whatever, there's all kinds of stuff out there. And there's, there's guys dancing too out there. It's like, I'm not just saying it's one way or the other, but giving unfettered access to that without keeping an eye on it is, uh, is not parenting. In fact, parents, I would urge you to not be that parent who needs to be your kid's friend because you make it harder on the rest of us. <laughs> you make it harder on the rest of us. So don't be that guy or that girl, all right? All right, y'all still with me? You still call this church your home? Okay, okay, so number three, the number three uh, analogy here, social media is like a mirror. Social media is like a mirror. It's like a screwdriver. It's like alcohol. It's like a mirror. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2 says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, not on earthly things. So what I mean when I say social media is like a mirror, basically your experience with social media, if you could summarize it and somehow analyze it, it would be, I believe, a reflection of what you seem to lack. It would be a reflection of what you need, what you want, what you're searching for in life, what, you're, what you lack. Like if you could somehow run a summary of your search queries and what you've spent your time laying eyes on and, and uh, what you like, how you talk, I'm guessing you could properly assess uh, some recurring sin in your life. You could assess some deep need that's gone unmet in your life. One thing I wanted to do was sort of go back to the early days of social media and talk about how uh, in the early days of social media, it was more innocent then. It was, it was a more innocent time, like in the early days of Facebook. And I went to my very first posts on Facebook. My third post ever on Facebook in 2008 was, you know, we used to write it in the first person. So Eric Hoffman, dot, 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 like, <laughs> must stop screaming at umpires. Not even joking, that was 14 years ago, and then last week I preached basically the same message. I've gotta stop screaming at umpires. So I'm saying there's probably a pattern in your online behavior that's, that's indicative of some kind of a, a sinful pattern or an area of need in your life. If, if you get too angry too much of the time on Facebook, arguing politics with people who disagree with you, it's probably because you've got some anger issues that Jesus could heal. Only Jesus could heal them. But we take it to Facebook instead of to Jesus because it's easier. If you've got, uh, you know, issues spending too much time watching those sexy, skinny people dancing on TikTok or whatever, and, and you've probably got deeper issues there that might be related to lust, but are more likely related to loneliness. If you really did the time to take stock and Jesus can heal you, he offers you a better way to live if you trust him with it. Instead of taking those needs to these simple, superficial salves like social media, all right, Jesus can show us a better way. Three very practical, very quick suggestions. First, assess what your social media tendencies have been. Second, repent of the sins that appear in those patterns. That's you and Jesus. You don't have to come to any pastor to confess and repent. It's you and Jesus in prayer. Third, with every moment you spend on social media, every post, every comment, every interaction, every swipe, every search query, put your mind on things above. We're on our way to holiness. As followers of Jesus, we're constantly striving for higher things. Put your mind on Christ. And with everything you do online, seek to honor Christ. 
and to make him and his love known to the world around you. That's the greatest thing about social media that I've ever found is that I've been able to take care of others in a pastoral, Christian, Christ-like way through social media because they make their needs known. And instead of responding with needs of my own, I ask them how they're doing. I love them in the name of Jesus. Man, you can make some powerful inroads for the kingdom of God in that way. So to wrap up, uh, I, I would have to say I don't believe the Bible is in agreement with the community survey this week. I would have to say that, in fact, social media is not evil at all. Let me tell you why real quick. The Bible calls a lot of things evil. A lot of people are evil in the Bible. A lot of times are evil. Generations are evil. Behaviors are evil. But an uh, inanimate object or, or a tool is never called evil in the Bible. It's just a mirror. It looks back at us and shows us who we are. People are evil. I can be evil. You can be evil. We have evil in us. We have the choice to make on how we use a tool like this for evil or for good. And I pray, if you're a follower of Jesus, I pray you will use this tool to make him known, to glorify him, to share his love with the world around you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for our time together and thank you for your love. Show us how to use this tool called social media more to your glory, Lord, and uh, help us to find our healing, not online, but in you. We pray in your name, amen. <laughs>